0: The Gospel according to Matthew, the second chapter. Now after the wise men had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and were under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. So I said I'd start by explaining why we're celebrating Christmas, the first Sunday after Christmas. And it's really because Matthew is very intent on having Jesus be the seen as the new Moses, and so part of that is that uh, Mary and Joseph, or Joseph has to take Mary and the baby to Egypt so that Jesus will come out of Egypt as Moses had to flee, as Moses came out of, of Egypt and had to flee from there because he'd killed somebody and the Pharaoh was going to do him in So so there are these parallels that Matthew wants to draw out about Jesus. Uh, I'm not going to dwell on that in the sermon, but I wanted to point it out uh, before I began. Imagine for a moment that this building was condemned as unsafe and had to be demolished. While such an event might not mean the end of our ministry, it would certainly cause a lot of angst and soul-searching about the future and about our identity. This actually happened to one congregation that I served in the distant past, uh, Grace Lutheran Church in Norristown. About 1930, their building was condemned. This building had only been built in 1905, and it was a beautiful stone church that was on the most prominent street in their neighborhood. But after they were in it for just over 25 years, it was condemned because the foundation was shifting. It had been poorly engineered. It was actually built on a sand pit, and it's like nobody realized that, you know? It's like, you know, sometimes we think that nothing's happened in a vacant lot before we get there. so it was considered so dangerous that even the stained glass windows were demolished with it. They wouldn't let people into the building to take anything out. And there was no insurance to cover the loss because it wasn't as a result of fire or, or natural disaster. So the congregation had to start all over and they built a very functional and ugly building in, <laughs> that they were in for the next... 28 years till they could build something more grand but it wasn't what they built in 1958 wasn't as nice as what they had built in 1905 thinking about this however scary gives us some appreciation for the situation of Israel to which Isaiah was speaking in today's first lesson some of the people of Israel had returned from exile in babylon And Babylon was a beautiful modern city, and now they go back to Jerusalem, which was in absolute ruins. Their numbers were much fewer than before Jerusalem had been destroyed 50 years earlier. That was depressing, but what was most upsetting was what they found when they looked at Solomon's temple, which was a heap of rubble. The imaginary destruction of this building is not quite parallel to their situation because as Christians, we don't believe that God dwells in this building. Jesus has replaced the temple and temples and is with us wherever we go or wherever we gather. Remember, he said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. But the people of Israel did believe that God lived in the temple. And in fact, they believed that God lived in the Holy of Holies, in the inner sanctum. And He resided between the wings of the seraphim on top of the Ark of the Covenant. It was very specific. And so, not only did they face the formidable and perhaps impossible task of rebuilding the city and the temple, in addition, they felt abandoned by God. And it was to this feeling of desolation that Isaiah spoke words of hope I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all that the Lord has done for us, and the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy according to the abundance of his steadfast love the hebrew word hesed which is translated gracious deeds at the beginning of this verse and steadfast love at the end defies precise translation into english it means love as a duty springing from a blood relationship it's reminiscent of paul's words about god's love in romans chapter 8 Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is love about which I learned from my father's Mennonite family. These were people who spoke about the Lord in everyday conversation, and they were people of prayer. It is not unusual for them to say, well, I'll pray for you, or I've been praying for you. My father was the oldest of 12, and as the oldest son of the oldest son, I had a role in shifting the responsibility for the family reunion at Christmas to my generation from my father's generation. Uh, I had to do that because sometimes I had to intervene to stop petty games that my aunts were playing with each other as the reunion got planned. Um, Replications of the tensions of 50 and 60 and now 70 years ago when they were growing up together. One year, one of my younger cousins who got caught in the crossfire asked me why I don't get discouraged. I had to think for a minute. I mean, being discouraged by them had never even occurred to me. But then I said, it's because they loved me each in their own way 50 years ago when my sister died. And I will never forget that. Theirs was love in action, helping me tend the chickens, offering an opportunity for me and my brother to stay overnight with an aunt and uncle, my first and only motorcycle ride, Um, and just listening to this 10-year-old who had lost one of the most important people in his life. To me, at that time, they embodied God's love, and so to love them now, is something about which I wanted no choice. Isaiah recounts God's steadfast love, not as a feeling that God has toward the people, but as actions. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior in their distress. It was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. God called them and saved them, not from affliction, but from the destruction that trouble could bring. God joined them in being afflicted and watched over them. This is what Jesus' birth is about. God is with us, not just sometimes, but always. God is afflicted, as we are. It starts with Herod's attempt to destroy the baby Jesus. This is a foreshadowing of what happens in Jesus' passion and death. God is not one who idly watches or a coach who stands on the sidelines and shouts encouragement from the sidelines of life. But instead, in Jesus, we see that God is intimately acquainted with and involved in all of the suffering of humanity. In our reading from Hebrews, we heard, because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. God has lifted and carried us. We may, like the people of Israel, sometimes feel abandoned and alone, but God has carried the people of Israel As God carried the people of Israel, so God carries us. This is God's promise in sending Jesus to take on our life and our lot. We are joined to Jesus in baptism. We die with him in baptism and we rise to a new life with him. It is these promises that give us strength and hope to look forward to our future in the new year and always. It's because God is with us in Jesus and has joined us in this life, now and always. Amen.